This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. The first two cases are patients of uh, Ivan, and so he's going to drive the presentation and discussion here, but I'll advance for you. Yeah, thank you, uh, Raul. So I'll present a case. This first one is a patient with uh, a hormone-sensitive uh, prostate cancer. And so um, we'll talk a little bit about the, the how we start and select therapy for this patient. So this is a young patient who, until his diagnosis of prostate cancer, was healthy, had not a lot of other medical conditions that he was seeing a doctor for, but um, was diagnosed, uh, if you can see, uh, after having some rectal pain and some changes in his uh, urination, had a PSA level that was checked and showed, uh, you know, was elevated at 340. So then he got staging with a bone scan that actually didn't show any metastatic disease. Uh, he had an MRI of the prostate that showed a large mass, large tumor in the prostate, and also evidence of spread to lymph nodes in the pelvis. And then he had a chest x-ray actually that was done before uh, seeing us that showed possibly some spots in the lungs that were concerning for spread to the lungs. Um, and then um, I think if there's, if you advance there, maybe one more. Yeah. So then after that, he had a biopsy of his prostate uh, tumor or the, the mass in the prostate, and it showed prostatic adenocarcinoma, so prostate cancer with a relatively high Gleason score of eight. Um, so maybe before we talk about um, um, next steps, if you know, I'll open it up to uh, you, Raul and, and Eric, and if you want to highlight any aspects of this case so far and, and what you would be thinking about doing next uh, for the workup. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, this is clearly someone that has uh, high risk uh, prostate cancer and there is concern for visceral organ metastases. So this is someone where we definitely would want to make sure our further staging is is really comprehensive and certainly a CT scan of the chest, abdomen, pelvis to really better characterize, um, you know, the potential metastases here, I think is going to be important because that's going to really dictate our subsequent therapy. And I would, I would agree. I would add to that that <clears throat> absence of metastases on bone scan doesn't mean much. It just means that you can't see anything in the bone. And they could either be bone scan lesions that are so-called lytic, which don't show up on bone scan, or this is a cancer that doesn't involve bone. I would also say, uh, because I'm anticipating a question from the audience, why not PSMA PET? Um, two reasons, sort of the practical reason is that it's not really approved in this setting, although that may change. Um, it's really approved only in you know, climbing PSAs, for example, uh, after definitive local therapy, but you could argue you know, for, for local staging. But the other reason is that we know that patients with aggressive variants of cancer oftentimes will be PSMA negative. Tom showed some of those pictures. So it just wouldn't be that useful. I agree with Rahul's plan to do a comprehensive imaging. Um, so then if you can advance to the next step, um, the next slide. So, so the first thing that he had, I agree with everything that was said. So he had genetic testing. Um, you know, at any patient with metastatic disease, um, you know, should get testing for inherited uh, mutations. In this case, it was negative, which most of the time it is negative. Um, he, this patient had a PSMA PET scan um, which you know is not uncommon for us to see it, although we talked about the some of the limitations or the reason why sometimes it not, may not even be approved. In this case, so interestingly, as as uh, Eric was mentioning, so you know it showed the cancer in the prostate gland. Uh, it showed some lymph nodes. 
It also showed spots of cancer in the lung um, and actually some spots of cancer in the liver. And these were mostly seen on the CT scan of the, the CT component of the PSMA PET scan. If you actually looked on the PSMA PET component, these tumors didn't have a lot of PSMA uptake. So they didn't really, you know, light up extensively on the, on the PET scan. And if you advance, I think one or two, uh, yeah, you can see. So the, the tumors in the lung, and then you can see they're a little more subtle, um, but you can see also some uh, tumors, some metastases in the liver. Um, and so maybe, um, you know, we can talk at this point about with this information, uh, with this information, how to think about treatment and, and what, um, what treatment uh, Eric or Raul, you would think about starting in a, in a patient like this if you saw him in clinic? Well, this is a perfect example that people of when you and Rahul were talking about doublet versus triplet therapy. Um, I think it's very easy to say that what we wouldn't do, what we wouldn't do is start Lupron alone, start a ADT alone. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Agarwal had in this slide uh, I think it was you, Rahul, but that we should be using uh, intensified therapy in, in virtually every patient. It's the very, very rare patient with metastatic disease that shouldn't get intensified therapy. So, you know, he this, this patient appears to have probably two types of cancer, at least, right? One that is PSMA avid and is perhaps more likely to respond to Abiraterone and, 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 and um, Lupron, but he also has these, these liver metastases that are very low in PSMA and likely, or are more likely to be less responsive to straight up hormonal manipulations. So this might be a patient that I would actually do triplet therapy in where I would use chemotherapy. I don't think there's a role for chemo and ADT alone ever. If I'm going to use chemo, I'm going to add, I'm going to intensify with an androgen signal inhibitor. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I'd, I'd probably, you know, I do use triplet therapy maybe a little bit more than some of my colleagues, in particular, those patients that have um, likely metastasis in the liver, just because the studies with the intensified EDT, when you give just the doublet without chemotherapy, don't suggest that you get a huge benefit in patients with liver metastases, just because these patients do have more aggressive prostate cancer. And our, that type of cancer does seem to be predisposed to be less responsive to hormone therapy. I do think we need better biomarkers and I, and I would probably encourage a biopsy of the, one of the liver lesions and looking at the genetics of that, because that might give some clues as to, especially if you're on the fence about whether you're going to add chemotherapy or not. But in this context, this is a patient I probably would give the triplet and then you really have two choices there in terms of the two phase three studies, either ADT plus abiraterone plus docetaxel or ADT plus darolutamide plus docetaxel. And I think there it just comes down to, you know, comorbidities and, and what drug might have less financial toxicity and so forth. And so, you know, this is a um, clearly high risk patient. You want to try to maximally suppress uh, the cancer right off the bat. Yeah. yeah, I, I mean, can I make one quick comment? I was going to answer this question online, but I just, I'll just speak to it, which is Dr. Upstate's PSMA non-avidity can be both a good and a bad sign. Did I hear this correctly? Yeah, kind of. Um, uh, so in the setting of a climbing PSA after radical prostate radiation, and you're looking for sites of recurrence and you can't find it, so it's PSMA, the scan is PSMA negative, 
that's a very good sign. It means that even using this ultra-sensitive imaging modality, you can't find stuff. The, the piece that Tom references is if you can see a tumor on another imaging modality, in this case that uh, Dr. Dekoshevsky is showing, known liver lesion, and it happens to be PSMA non-avid, that is a bad sign. So two very different circumstances. So in this situation, um, and, and some of this is work that, that Ivan has done, uh, PSMA being negative, you know, correlates with some of these very aggressive variant cancers that do require chemotherapy. And, and just to- I totally agree with Dr. Agarwal that a biopsy is highly warranted in this setting. So you know what you're working with. Yeah, and just to expand on that with the imaging piece, because I think, you know, this is something we've actually talked about a lot is how do we follow patients on lutetium and should we really rely on just the PET scan uptake? And I think we pretty strongly argued, and I think Dr. Hope in radiology agrees that we really need just, you know, the regular CT scans along the way as well, because you're really looking to make sure you're not seeing in the soft tissue spots start to grow on the CT, but really have minimal or zero uptake on the PET scan, because that, that clearly is a high-risk situation for which lutetium is not going to be beneficial. So PFMA PET alone without other imaging modalities, this is why in the ADT-resistant setting, we really probably need to use multiple types of scans to optimally manage patients. I think, why don't we yeah. go on to case? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ivan. No, no, exactly. I think so. The, the point of this case, just for the audience, was just to highlight some of the cases where we would think about adding in chemotherapy. But because of the trials we talked about, really, we're now when we're using chemotherapy, it's really part of the triplet combination. What we wouldn't do is just ADT plus chemotherapy. We typically add now a, a hormone pill in these cases. Yeah. So then the next case, uh, ne- next case, we're sh- shifting gears a little bit. This is going to focus really on the management of the patient in the castration resistance setting. So this is a, a older case. So some of what was done is um, not what, exactly what we would do now, but basically a 70 year old man who was first diagnosed 12 years ago with localized prostate cancer, but pretty high Gleason score was 10. Um, um, so in the, in the initial prostate biopsy, um, and was treated with radiation therapy and two years of uh, uh, hormone therapy. Unfortunately, sh- very shortly after started stopping hormone therapy, um, his PSA began to rise. So he, he was restaged, uh, and that showed a new bone metastasis uh, in the lumbar spine and in by the right shoulder. So then, um, because you know, with that, was started back on uh, hormone therapy with Lupron um, and bicolutamide, which is an older uh, res- uh, testosterone receptor blocker. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, six months after uh, being put back on hormone therapy, his PSA started to rise again, and he had worsening symptoms. So then he was treated with Provenge, um, and after that was treated with um, Zofigo or Radium-223. Um, now, after six cycles of, of Zofigo, he had repeat scans, which unfortunately, although his PSA had actually come down on treatment to 2.1, uh, showed progression of his uh, of his disease, and maybe before we, we we talk about the next steps, I'm just curious at this point, you know, Raul or Eric, if you you know when you're seeing a patient, the PSA is coming down, um, but you're seeing on scans, you know, cancer that's getting worse. Um, how you would, what you would think about doing in a case like this? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, even before thinking about next steps, it really highlights the need to not just follow the PSA, especially in the ADT resistant setting, you know, unlike an earlier stage disease where PSA is a very faithful 
sort of indicator of response and resistance to ADT. As we get further into the ADT resistance course, there's less of that correlation there. And that's where we really try to emphasize getting scans at regular interval. Had we not been getting scans in this particular patient, we wouldn't have detected this disease growth unless he was really quite symptomatic. And so just first highlight the need to you know, get that imaging and, and kind of goes back to what I was saying in my talk that we don't want to rely on just the PSA alone. In this case, because the scans show growth with a low PSA, this is a scenario where I do think a biopsy is, is absolutely warranted. We want to know what type of prostate cancer we're treating. And at the ADT resistant stage, some prostate cancers undergo what's called transdifferentiation. They change into a type of cancer called neuroendocrine, which just looks different under the microscope. You see it in about maybe 15% of, of patients with ADT resistant prostate cancer that we, uh, you know, that undergo metastatic biopsies. Treated differently, the genetics are different, the clinical trials that we have available are different. And so we really want to know, you know, what type of prostate cancer we have. Yeah, so exactly. And so this is exactly what happened in this case. The patient had a biopsy of one of his lymph nodes. And as you know, Raul was, was, was mentioning, we saw exactly that under the microscope that we were no longer dealing, at least in that biopsy, with your garden variety prostatic cancer, prostate cancer, but this small cell neuroendocrine differentiated prostate cancer that um, tends to not secrete a lot of PSA and, and not really respond to a lot of the uh, testosterone manipulation therapies that we use, like abradorone or enzalutamide. So based on that biopsy, um, he was actually treated with chemotherapy. And this is a chemotherapy that is a little bit different from docetaxel or cabazitaxel, the chemotherapy that we use for your garden variety uh, prostate cancer. Um, and then had a, a somewhat of a response with that, uh, actually, you know, a fairly good initial response. But then um, after a few, about a year and a half, his cancer progressed again. Um, as you can see, even in the setting of progression, his cancer, his PSA was still um, relatively low, though a little bit higher than the 0.2 that he was at um, um, after chemotherapy. Um, and so um, this patient had another biopsy done, which again showed a small cell carcinoma. Uh, part of the reason why a biopsy was repeated in this case is the, the PSA was a little bit higher. So it's always helpful to, to check to make sure that we're still dealing with um, the same uh, cancer. And so in this case, because the biopsy showed the same thing, it was again treated with a chemotherapy that's mostly targeted at this small cell neuroendocrine prostate cancer, and actually was enrolled in a clinical trial after chemotherapy of immunotherapy with pembrolizumab. But unfortunately, his disease uh, progressed even through immunotherapy. Now, what's interesting in this case is that after his cancer progressed, he had a third biopsy that was done of a metastatic tumor. And this time it showed prostate uh, cancer, garden variety, or adenocarcinoma. Um, so no longer showed small cell carcinoma mm -hmm. when a, a third biopsy was done. So I don't know if um, maybe we, before we talk about next steps, if uh, Eric or Ro, you, you could talk about just the difference in these biopsies and how often you're thinking or when you're thinking about doing biopsies in these patients and how to explain the differences here. Yeah, so I'll, I'll jump in. So I think... I think um, we earlier we were talking about how once you do the, the germline genetic testing, that doesn't change. But this is a great example of how things do can change within the cancer. <clears throat> and while the, one of two things is happening here, right? Either the cancer really has had sort of this plasticity where it goes back and forth, became small cell, then didn't become small cell, which has been reported. 
or it was a sampling error, right? It's just where you happen to put your needle. But the, the point is really important that not only do you want to, that you want to repeat biopsies, um, not only to see what it looks like under the microscope, which is what was being done here, but to look for any genomic changes, because some of those variants that Dr. Agarwal described in his presentation can pop up later in the game and could offer a, a therapeutic avenue. Um, so typically, under normal circumstances, we definitely will do a biopsy at the time of disease growth. So, you know, provided that there's an area that you can, that you can put a needle into and, and obtain a biopsy. But if someone has antigen deprivation therapy resistant prostate cancer, their cancer grows, we try to biopsy it. We treat it, it regresses, it grows again, biopsy again. Um, as much as possible, we try to biopsy the same areas uh, so that we're comparing apples to apples and definitely look to biopsy an area that has grown, that has changed so you can see what is happening in that area. Uh, so we can advance to the next slide. So based on that uh, biopsy, it really shows how the, the biopsy informed treatment because he was treated with more chemotherapy, but this time chemotherapy that you'll recognize that we use for most prostate cancer cases with docetaxel and cabazitaxel. And I was actually on that for uh, very long periods of time with a good response. Unfortunately, eventually this, this patient did progress on chemotherapy and we tried um, using um, uh, olaparib, so uh, uh, a PARP inhibitor, genetically targeted therapy based on a mutation in a, in a DNA damage repair gene that was picked up in one of his biopsies. We, we had, I think Dr. Agarwal, you had briefly alluded to the different genes and, and BRCA2 and BRCA1 are the mm -hmm. ones that are most sensitive to something like olaparib. This BARD1 mutation, you know, probably um, we know now that it, that it may make the cancer less susceptible to something like olaparib. But in this case, unfortunately, um, the patient did not, you know, this patient did not respond to respond to olaparib, um, and and ultimately was transitioned to to hospice and, and passed away. But you know, I think what I wanted to highlight with this case is uh, some of the treatments that we use in the castration resistance setting, but also um, the importance, you know, the heterogeneity of, of prostate cancer and that it can be a spectrum and that, you know, biopsies and genetic testing, that's what becomes so important, especially later on in someone's disease course to make sure that we're treat, we know what we're treating and potentially open up additional treatment options based on the genetics of the, of the cancer. So I want to add something, uh, Ivan, because I don't want people to feel depressed by this case, that had we taken care of this patient 10 years ago, five years ago even, his survival would have been a year or two because we didn't have the, the wherewithal, certainly 10 years ago, to understand what was going on. And here we're talking about seven years. So seven years is not enough. Uh, and it tells us that we have a lot of work left to do, but there's also been remarkable progress. And I am very confident that, you know, the, the progress that is being made now is not incremental. It's, it's big steps as we've learned how to uh, biopsy these patients. So I view this as a, as, a, as a positive story, despite its outcome, because we are uh, so much further along. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.